But we'll conclude our quick study of the book of Genesis today before we start taking a closer look at the book of Exodus next week. And as we've done over the course of these last several weeks, we won't be focusing on any one passage of Scripture today, but instead we'll be making our way through the last 11 chapters of the book of Genesis today, focusing primarily upon the life of Joseph and Joseph and remembering also God's faithfulness to his promises and God's faithfulness to his covenant people whom he's establishing in these chapters that we've been reading about. And one of the things that we'll see today from our study of this portion of scripture is that we can trust in and we can rest in the providence of God. And we can do that even when his providence is puzzling and difficult. We can rest in God's providence in good times and in what we might consider bad times as well. And we can rest in God's providence even during times and events that we might consider to be evil. Trusting those words of Paul in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Pray with me again, Lord. God, show us the reasons that we can trust you and then grow our faith through your word, working in concert with your Holy Spirit, Lord, driving these truths deep within our hearts. Lord, so that we would embrace them and you and walk with you faithfully for a lifetime, entrusting ourselves to you always. Lord, make this be so, we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find them on page 33. We began our look at the life of Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, two weeks ago. And if you were with us then, you might remember that we saw Joseph journey from a plot to a pit to a palace to a prison. Joseph was the 11th of the 12 sons born to Jacob, and he was his father's favored son, And his brothers were envious of him, and they hated him because of the way in which their father favored him. Joseph didn't help his situation any when he told his brothers about two dreams that he had, in which he said the day would come when they would one day bow down before him. They didn't care for that idea very much, and their hatred burned against their brother. They saw an opportunity to act on their hatred a bit later when Jacob sent Joseph out to the field one day to check on them while they were tending their flocks. We're told in Scripture that that when his brothers saw him coming to them, they plotted to kill him. But two of the brothers encouraged the other brothers to refrain from killing Joseph, and instead they threw him into a pit, into a dry well or a cistern. And sometime later, in God's providence, a caravan of travelers coming, um, traveling to Egypt came by. And the brothers sold Joseph 
to them. For 20 pieces of silver, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. In Genesis 39.1, we're told that after Joseph was taken down to Egypt, he was sold to an officer in the court of Pharaoh. And so again, we see Joseph's journey moving from a plot to a pit and now to a palace in the household in the court of Pharaoh. We're told in verse 2 of chapter 39, look at it there if you would, that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph as he served his master, a man named Potiphar. And we're told that the, that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed. And as a result, Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master. And we're told that Potiphar entrusted everything that he had to Joseph. And Joseph served him honorably. He was a blessing to his master. But then even more drama enters into Joseph's life when we're told in verse 7 of chapter 39 that Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph to sleep with her. But Joseph refuses her advances and she then accuses him of attempted rape. And the woman's husband, Joseph's master, throws Joseph into prison. So there it is, Joseph's journey from a plot a plot by his brothers to kill him, to a pit, to a palace, and now to a prison. That's where we left off two weeks ago. Joseph has been wrongly imprisoned, just as he was wrongly thrown into the pit and wrongly sold into slavery. And now Joseph is wrongly thrown into prison. But we're told that even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Because of what we see in that, we understand that we can trust in and we can rest in the providence of God, even in the midst of difficult and puzzling circumstances. Because God is able to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The Lord grants Joseph favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison, just like he had done with Potiphar. And the warden puts Joseph in charge of the entire jail and all the prisoners in it. And Joseph was a blessing to him. As we move into chapter 40, Joseph is still in prison. And two new prisoners arrive, one who's the baker and the other a cupbearer of Pharaoh. These two men had gotten crossways with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he threw them into prison. And in verse 5 of chapter 40, we learn that both of these men had dreams on the same night. And they bemoaned the fact that they didn't have anyone there with them to interpret their dreams, which was a common practice in Pharaoh's household, in Pharaoh's court. They told their dreams to Joseph, and the Lord granted him the ability to interpret them. And we read how in three days the cupbearer 
was restored to his position with Pharaoh, just as Joseph predicted. But the baker was killed by Pharaoh in those same three days. Again, just as Joseph predicted. And as the chapter ends, we're told that Joseph asked the cupbearer of Pharaoh to remember him and to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. But that doesn't happen. And Joseph is left to language in jail for another two years. Then as chapter 41 begins, we learn that one night Pharaoh has a dream and that dream troubles him greatly. And none of his advisors, none of his wise men can interpret it. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he speaks of him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sends for him. The cupbearer tells Pharaoh how he knows a man who has this uncanny ability to understand, to interpret the meaning of dreams. And in verse 17, Pharaoh has sent for Joseph, and Joseph tells Pharaoh the meaning behind his dream. And Joseph interprets the dream in verses 25 through 32, saying in verses 29 and 30, that there will be seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, after these years of plenty, there'll be seven years of famine. But Joseph doesn't just stop there with giving his interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh. But then in verses 32 to 36, Joseph tells Pharaoh what he should do to enable Egypt to prepare for and to endure these years of this famine which were to come. And we're told that this wisdom that Joseph provides Pharaoh pleases him. And then an amazing thing happens. The Lord grants favor in the eyes of the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh appoints Joseph to be his second in command over all of Egypt. Look at Pharaoh's decree in verses 37 through 44 of chapter 21. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? In whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus Pharaoh set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? A day earlier, this Hebrew slave 
was rotting in prison. And now Pharaoh appoints him to be second in command over all of Egypt. We can trust in and we can rest in the providence of God. And we can do that even when his providence is puzzling and difficult. And we can do that because God is able to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For seven years, Joseph wisely administers the affairs of the land in preparation for the coming famine. And the Lord blesses his work. We're told that Joseph stored up such huge quantities of grain that they were like the sand, like the sand of the sea. And that it was so much that they even came to a point where they simply stopped keeping records because it was more than could be measured. And then the famine came. And in chapter 41, verse 57, we're told that people from all over the world came to Egypt to buy grain because the the famine was so severe. And guess who was among those who came to Egypt to buy grain? Remember, this famine wasn't restricted to Egypt but it extended throughout that area of the world. It extended into the land of Canaan, where the rest of Joseph's family was living. And as chapter 42 begins, Joseph's father Jacob sends ten of his sons to Egypt to buy food, holding back his youngest son Benjamin out of fear that something might happen to him and that he would lose every one of his sons. We're told in chapter 42 that the sons make their way down to Egypt and they actually appear before Joseph. Now the brothers, never expecting to find their brother to be the second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt, his brothers don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. And here Joseph plays with their minds a little bit. He tells them in verse 9 of chapter 42 that he thinks they're spies. But he gives them an opportunity to prove their honesty by having one of them stay behind. To prove their honesty, Joseph tells them that they must return and bring their brother Benjamin back. In 42:29, the brothers leave Egypt. They return to Jacob And they tell their father about their experience. But Jacob is reluctant to allow Benjamin to go to Egypt because he believes that the the brother who they left behind in Egypt is probably already dead. Eventually, in Genesis 43, 13, Jacob relents and he allows his sons to return to Egypt with Benjamin. The brothers return to Egypt and they appear before Joseph again. And in chapters 43 through 47, Joseph continues to play with their mind a bit more before finally in Genesis 45, 3, he reveals himself to his brothers. And then let's look at what Joseph tells his brothers and what the Lord tells us also 
as to why it is that we can trust in and rest in the providence of God, even in puzzling and difficult times. Joseph gives testimony of how God is able to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look at chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. As Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he says, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, Joseph says, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph has learned that most valuable lesson of the life of faith. He's learned to entrust himself to the Lord. He's learned the truth of Romans 8.31, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Joseph has learned how to trust in and how to rest in and how to recognize God's providential hand of blessing and protection and provision. He's learned to do that in terrible times. And he's learned to do that in good times as well. And so I ask this question to you. Have you learned Have you learned how you can trust in and rest in the providence of God, even in difficult times? Have you come to learn to trust in and rest in this good providential care of your Father in heaven? Because it's the Lord's will that you would. In chapter 45, Joseph explains to his brothers all this transpired in the last 10 years. Then in verse 9, he instructs his brothers to go back to their father and to bring him and the rest of their family to live in Egypt. Chapter 45 concludes with his brothers doing that. They return to their father and they tell him all this happened. And at first, Jacob can't believe it. He can't believe the story that he's hearing is true. He can't believe that his beloved son, Joseph, is alive after all these years. But in chapter 46, verse 2, the Lord speaks to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob comes to a full assurance that Joseph is indeed alive. And he and all the family then leave the land of Canaan and they traveled to Egypt. And then in, in 46.29, Jacob and Joseph are reunited. And we're told that when he saw his father, Joseph threw his arms around his father and he wept. 
Can you imagine what that reunion was like? It's been more than 10 years since they've seen each other. And for all those years, Jacob believed that his beloved son was dead. For all those years, Joseph had been missing his father terribly. For all those years, no doubt, he wondered if his father was even still alive. How many tears had these two men shed for one another in those years? And now they're reunited. This makes me think of the truth that we learned a year or so ago when we studied the book of Joel. That God is the God who restores the years of the locust. In chapter 47, Joseph presents his father and his brothers to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh receives them with great honor. And Pharaoh tells them that they can settle anywhere in Egypt. And he offers to them the very finest land. And there in the land of Goshen, Joseph's family take their flocks their flocks of goats and sheep that they had brought with them. And the Lord blesses them there. And they acquire much property. And they're very fruitful. And they multiply. They increase greatly in number. In chapters 48 and 49, Jacob blesses his 12 sons and the two sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt. And in 49:33, Jacob dies. But before Jacob died, Jacob asked his sons to promise that they'll bury him in his homeland, in the land of Canaan. And in the first part of chapter 50, Joseph requests permission from Pharaoh to be able to honor this request of his father. And he and his brothers take the body of Jacob and they take the place that they had directed them, that he had directed them to bury him. And that was the same place where Abraham and Sarah had also been buried. Now turn to chapter 50. And let's look at a passage that begins in verse 15. Chapter 50, verse 15. A couple verses after this, the book of Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. Joseph lives to be 110 years old, and we're told that the Lord enables him to see the children of his sons to the third generations. The Lord blesses Joseph with many years, many years with his brothers, many years with his own children, and with their children and their children's children. He and his brothers are enabled to spend many wonderful years together. But his brothers aren't so sure as to how it might turn out for them now that their father is dead. And they wonder if maybe now Joseph will take vengeance upon them. Let's look at how Moses tells us about this. Again, Genesis 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. 
Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Do you remember the dream that Joseph told his brothers? That one day they would bow down before him? But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph didn't hold out animosity towards his brothers for the evil that they had done to him because he saw a greater force was at work than them. For as he said in Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. God sent me here before you to keep many people alive. Again, these words of Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Again, we see here how Joseph has come to learn the lesson that the Lord wants you and I to learn as well. That we can trust in and we can rest in the providence of God. And that we can do that in good times as well as in difficult times and puzzling times. And we can do that because God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if you ever doubt that, all you need do is look at this table which is set before you today. This table which shows forth the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. The greatest act of evil ever perpetrated by the mind and the hands of sinful men. Yet that was all according to what Peter calls in Acts 2.23, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Those sinful men who crucified Jesus meant what they were doing to be done for evil. But God meant it for good. God meant it to bring about the redemption and the salvation and the giving of eternal life to many people through faith in this one who was crucified by these evil men. Peter in 1 Peter 2 tells us that, that Christ was crucified like this by sinful men, even though he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Peter says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But instead, he continued to entrust himself to he who judges justly. And we're called to do that same thing. By the enablement of the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to be able to entrust himself to the providence and eternal plan of the Father, in the same way, empowered by that same Holy Spirit, the Lord desires for you and I to also trust in and to rest in the providence of God. 
And we can do that in whatever situation we may find ourselves because God is the God who is able to work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. What's my only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, we thank you for the life of Joseph. Lord, we thank you for all of these stories that we've read about in Genesis over these past several months. All these stories that reveal who you are. All these stories that tell us, that that prove to us your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to your covenantal promises and your faithfulness to your covenantal people. And Lord, your word tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been grafted into this family. We have been grafted into the family of Abraham. We have been grafted into the family of Isaac, the family of Jacob, the family of Joseph. These brothers are our brothers. Your kindness to them has been your kindness to us. Lord, thank you that you have shown us in these stories that we have every reason to entrust ourselves to you and to your providential care, your protection, your provision. But Lord, for, for, in order for us to be able to do that, we need your help. So Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in abundance. Lord, so that we might walk with you faithfully for a lifetime. And Lord, provide for us that which we need in the same way in which Joseph provided bread, provided grain to those coming to Egypt in times of desperation during the famine. Lord, we come to you and we receive that provision which you provide for us. The bread and the cup showing forth the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Lord, strengthen us. Feed us through this meal, Lord, we pray, so that we might faithfully walk with you for a lifetime. Amen.